welcome people <laughs> hey everybody welcome to the show glad you're here the music you're hearing behind me or in me or around me was composed by my handsome hunky husband yeah it was this is arranged it was arranged rather by my handsome hunky husband and as well with my soul so i'm gonna play this a little bit or bare faces and I want you to take a minute to settle your heart and think about it think about these words think about it it is well with my soul Listen to this music. I don't want to come in the middle. There.
So I remember the first time I heard that, I, I started to cry. <laughs> I'm almost there now. Oh, gosh. You know, when I married Randall, I knew he was a musician, a composer. But over the years, I have had... Um, I've had the blessing of hearing his stuff before the world does. And um, I'm just just very moved by that, you know? Um, especially when you consider the story behind that song. It's uh, very powerful, you know? So I want to read. I want to welcome you first to the, to the show. Thank you guys for tuning in. And, you know, it's interesting... How I start this is different every time because it's not, we're not normal. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> we're not normal. Uh, and I guess I'm okay with that because, you know, God has to have some abnormal people in his kingdom. So why not me, right? Um, I was thinking a lot this week about what to talk about. And um, I know, I know sometimes you might think I just kind of fly by the seat of my pants when I do this show. And I kind of do sometimes, but because I've done it for so long, it's not that hard for me to, to come up with a topic. But before we get into the topic, which I've named, what if everything you believed was a lie? I want to give you a little backstory, but I also want to remember um, Jesus. Because one of the things I think in Christian media that gets lost is Jesus, right? And so let's read here from Colossians chapter um, 1. I'm just going to begin in verse 13. It says here, the word of God says, For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us Wait, just a second. He rescued us from the domain of darkness. Don't ever forget that. He rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sin. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church. And he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him and through him to reconcile all things to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his 
cross. And although you were previously alienated and hostile in attitude, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in the body of flesh, in his body of flesh, through death, in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. If indeed you continue in the faith firmly established and steadfast and not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, was made a minister. You know, I remember when I was um, about 14 years old and I was introduced to the gospel. Prior to the gospel being shared with me in a clear way, I only knew about God. I didn't know who he was. I just knew God existed. And I knew Easter was a holiday, and I thought it was about a bunny rabbit. And I thought that it had to do with some something had to do with a, the, a bunny being risen from the dead. True story. And I know some of you might think that's funny, but I was I wasn't I didn't have the privilege of being raised in a Christian home where where the gospel was shared with me all the time. And and so as a teenager, when I heard that and I was invited to church um, and I heard the gospel message and that Jesus loved me and that Jesus died for me and that he would be my best friend in the whole entire world. Um, if I just believed in him, then I, I was like, okay. I was in a very dangerous situation when I was a kid. Um, a very abusive situation, a very, um, violent situation in many cases. And there were, there were days I didn't know if I was going to live or die. And there were a lot of days that I wanted to die because I didn't know how to live. I didn't have hope. But when somebody shared the gospel with me and they shared with me that I was worth something, that God loved me, when I got a copy of the word of God and started to read it, I couldn't put it down. I remember I would get up really early and I would read it under the covers in my bedroom with a flashlight because my mom didn't want me reading the Bible. And I also remember um, that I just absorbed it and I couldn't not memorize it. I just had to, I just had to have it. I wrote out scriptures every day and I didn't know what I was doing at the time was evangelizing my whole high school campus so much so that when I graduated they asked me to do the the opening prayer at my graduation. Uh, even then the Lord called me to speak to the culture and I didn't know why. I didn't know what was going on actually I just knew that he gave me a call I had to do it. But I know the darkness that I was taken out of. And I remember praying this prayer. Now I look back on as a, as an as a older woman. And I, <laughs> I look back on that teenage prayer that I prayed, asking God to let my abuser out of jail 
because my mom was forcing me to recant everything he did to me and just saying, Lord, if you let this guy go, I will serve you forever, no matter what, in order to make my mom happy. It had nothing to do with justice. It had everything to do with living in fear of, of being hurt in the home I was living in. And why do I share that? Because a home should be a safe place. Schools should be safe. Church should be safe. But we live in a society today where none of that is safe in many, many ways. Right? We, we have rampant divorce. We have abuse in the home. We have alcoholism. We have rampant pornography. We have all of this stuff happening in the home. We have it happening in the church. And we have it happening in therapy offices. We have it happening in places where, you know, it shouldn't be happening. Right? Where is the safe place to go today for a kid who's being hurt? For a wife that's being beaten? For a husband who's, who's being beaten? Where, where is the light for these people? Well, I have some good news. The good news is that if you're a follower of Christ and you're in Christ, you're the light for that person. You can offer somebody in the darkness the hope of Christ. And you can point them to Jesus. And I'm going to tell you something. I've sat behind this microphone for about 17 years. And I'm not an expert by any stretch. But one thing I do know is that in the world of Christian media, it is really, really hard to remain in, a, in the spot where you don't make it about you. Because, because unfortunately, the world is set up in such a way that, that, you know, we have idols, right? Everybody has an idol. Yay, I have an American idol. <laughs> you know, I mean, for crying out loud. We have shows, we boast about it. We boast about idol worship. We boast about how much money we make. We boast about the latest, you know, whatever thing we, we get because we have idols. And the very, and, and I never forget this. I was at a church. It's probably the only thing I ever got at this church that I remember. Uh, the pastor said, the only idol that you should ever have is Jesus himself because he's the only idol that's ever going to love you back. All other idols are going to disappoint you. They're going to crash and they're going to burn. They're going to sorely disappoint you. And so I look at the church today, and part of my heart is rejoicing because there's a revival going on, and I see it. I see it in people that I know. I see it in churches that, you know, I respect the leadership, and, you know, I see their, their churches online, um, and I hear firsthand reports from other places. I know that that's real. But I also know that the enemy is out there and he's doing everything that he can to divide and conquer the body of Christ. And if the prayer of unity that Jesus prayed in John 17, I believe, um, is ever going to be fulfilled, we need to get to that place where Christians are known by their love and not known by their controversy. So earlier today, um, this morning in fact, um, I was reading in the book of Proverbs and um, during my morning Bible reading time. And there's a lot of Proverbs that really stood out to me today. And I'm going to 
indulge you in a minute here and I'm going to um, read a couple. But the first one I want to read is Proverbs 13, beginning in verse 11. And I'm reading in the Christian, Christian Standard Bible because this is the Bible I'm reading in today. Um, it's not the one I memorized, but it's the one I read. Um, it says this, it says, Wealth obtained by fraud will dwindle. But whoever earns it through labor will multiply it. And I actually wrote next to that verse, Bernie Madoff's name. <laughs> Wealth obtained by fraud will dwindle. I was thinking a lot about it because as an entrepreneur, you know, one of the things that we're taught in entrepreneurial school, which is AKA the, the hard knocks of life, you know, you know, hey, you know what? I'm an entrepreneur. Well, it takes, it takes a little bit to be an entrepreneur. I'm not a rich one, but I am one. And what I can tell you is that one of the gods of the world of entrepreneurialship and is, is that we must exalt who we are. We must talk about how great we are. Uh, we, we must declare I am statements and we, we must, no matter what, always have 10 people in our funnel. <laughs> we must always follow up and we must make sure that the money that we want to earn is the number one thing on our mind at all times. And I have to tell you that I cannot stand any of that. It, it makes my skin crawl. It's like, ugh, you know, it's like, ugh, you know, it, it's, and, and this weekend, you guys, you know, I have Legal Shield. I, I sell Legal Shield. I love Legal Shield. It's a great product. It's a great service. We're having a convention this weekend, but I was watching some of the convention and some of the stuff that, you know, that they tout is that stuff. You know, grown women putting crowns on their head, talking about how we're, you know, and I'm like, okay, look, I'm not in a beauty pageant. I have no desire to wear a crown on my head and be a princess in that way. I don't, I, I'm not the type of person that's so insecure that I need to keep telling myself how great I am. Look, most of us are really super self-centered, okay? And we need help as believers to crucify our flesh, okay? That's what we need. We don't need this constant, you're so great, you're so great, I'm so great, oh yes I am! You know, we, we need, he is great. Jesus is great. Yes, he's great. Yes, he is. Because he's the one that died on the cross for me so that I could be reconciled to him and so that he could forgive me from all my sin because I am a wretched sinner saved by grace. Nonetheless, he forgave me. And it's because of Jesus that we do what we do, right? And never forget that, okay? And so I'm just laying that as a foundation because I'm, I'm troubled by Christian media and how I, all I see in Christian media is that so-and-so did this and so-and-so did that and so-and-so did this, blah, 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 blah. And, and it's like, where is Jesus in all this? Like, where is he? <laughs> you know? And, and again, it comes back to that question. What if everything I ever believed was a lie? 
And the reason that question came up for me was because as I was reading or listening to this hype, you know, well, let's just exalt us. Let's talk about how great we are, etc. You know, I'm thinking to myself, why is that such a big deal? Those people are going home, many of them, they're drinking, getting drunk. You know, they wake up, they sleep. All they think about is money. And it's, it's like, if money satisfied, can you explain to me why so many millionaires have off themselves? They've died, they committed suicide. They will even tell you they can never get enough. Why? Because it's our flesh, people. Our flesh will never get enough. That's why we've got to crucify it, right? So, you know, earlier this week, I saw this story about um, Bernie Madoff dying, or Madoff. I'm not sure how to say his name. Madoff? I think it's Madoff. And I, I, sent, I sent Randall a, a clip. The Drudge Report put this graphic up on their, um, up on their thing, and, and it blew me away. So it says this, Madoff in hell, the ultimate schemer, 37,000 victims. I screenshot that because I knew Drudge was going to take it down. But let me just keep it up just a second longer, just because I like it. <laughs> I, I want to draw, draw a point about this. Okay. The Drudge Report is one of the top internet news websites on the internet, right? He puts Madoff in hell in red, okay? I mean, you see it. That's, that's what he did, right? Now, I would agree that, you know, what the Bible says here, wealth obtained by fraud will dwindle and whoever earns it through labor will multiply it. Uh, but this guy had a, a gift for theft, for sure. He was a swindler, a deceiver. Uh, clearly, he could scam lots of people because he did. And he puts the Ponzi guy like, like, who's that? You know, this guy is, is, is like the number one guy, if you want to talk about going after wealth. I thought about Judas, actually, when I saw that. But the reason I want you to see that is because Drudge actually put Madoff in hell. Now, when people die, most polite people will always say something nice about somebody. But it's it's interesting to me, though, that they said, that Drudge said he was in hell. Now, why is that important? I think it's important because what he is doing, and you can re- you can take it down now. But what what he's doing is he's 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 saying all the crimes that he committed, which were were financial. What God did Bernie love the most? He loved money, and he built lots of people out of a lot of money, and because of that, he's in hell. That, that's, that's the thinking, right? He committed so many crimes against over 37,000 people, uh, and the crime that he committed was about money, which is the world's number one god, by the way. I would say that money, lust, you know, stuff like that is like in the top five anyway. But money for sure. The, the Bible says you can't serve two masters, right? You can't serve God or mammon, money, Okay. Well, that really hit me because I'm like, okay, he's, Drudge is saying, wow, he's in hell. And then there was this art, other article, um, which I think is also very interesting. This is on NBC News. And I sent this to you, right? I don't know what this is. The Bernie Madoff, Madoff died in prison one? I don't know. It's the NBC News? Yeah. Story? Okay. Yeah. 
I send that to you. That one? Yes, that one. So, so this story about Bernie came up. Bernie Madoff died in prison where he belonged. So how do you mourn him? It's wrong, no doubt, to take pleasure in a man's death, and yet it's difficult to feel sorrow for a man who's been the cause of so much suffering. And then if the article I'm reading actually has, has his picture and stuff. But I want to just read some of this, because this is interesting, right? It says here, when I heard of Bernie Madoff's death Wednesday in a federal prison hospital at the age of 82, I confess I couldn't decide how I felt. I was for sure not happy. But nor was I sad. Struggled to know. I struggled to know how to feel how I should feel. My mother, of blessed memory, would have called Madoff a, a gonif. I, I hope I'm saying that right. A Yiddish term not of endearment as it means a thief or at a minimum a dishonest person. Madoff ran the largest Ponzi scheme in history. An estimated $65 billion financial fraud before being arrested in 2008, convicted and sentenced to 150 years in federal prison. A gone if to say the least. I don't know. I don't know if I'm saying it right, but anyway. Even former President Donald Trump wrote that Madoff was, quote, without a doubt, a sleazebag and a scoundrel without par, unquote. Perhaps that's why he didn't grant his request for a commutation consigning him to live out his last days behind bars. So what am I to feel as I process this not-so-unexpected news of Madoff's demise? It's wrong, no doubt, to take pleasure in a man's death, and yet it's difficult to feel sorrow for a man who has been the cause of so much suffering for so many others. We all heard the big names that were taken in by Madoff's scheme. Ellie, is it Ellie? Ellie Wiesel. Ellie Wiesel, which, by the way, his book, The Night Trilogy, it's a must read. You must read it. I had to read it in grad school. It was really good. Uh, but anyway, it's about his time in the concentration camp. And it's very dark, which is why it's called Night. The Night Trilogy. But anyway, him, Steven Spielberg, my childhood sports hero, Sandy Koufax, to name just a few. Yeah, Sandy Koufax. Better up. Anyway, but countless others, let's, let's r less rich and not famous within the Jewish community and without also put their trust in the man and fell victim to Madoff's enormous swindle. I personally know many who have suffered from Madoff's colossal scam. Indeed, I had a front row seat to the devastation. I handled public and media relations for, among many others, the major Jewish charitable organization, Hadassah, the Women's Zionist Organization of America, as its leadership came to comprehend the damage that had been inflicted upon them, and then to pick up the pieces, reorganize their affairs, and seek redress over the tens of millions of dollars they are estimated to have lost. I witnessed firsthand the similar effect of Madoff's crimes had throughout the world of Jewish communal and educational organizations. The material loss to Jewish philanthropy as a whole, perhaps more than $1 billion, uh, it was crushing. And I observed how these organizations, some venerable fixtures, others small and hard scrapple, had to cut programs, terminate grants, lay off employees, close offices, and struggle to raise emergency funds just to keep the lights on. So even though I never met Madoff personally, I feel I developed a long and unhappy relationship with the guy. Given the communal devastation that Madoff affair has forced upon us and accounting, not only a financial but also social and moral, 
It has compelled many of us to look more deeply at ourselves and our choices, at our own willingness to trust someone who is offering something that should have appeared to be too good to be true. It clearly was. Perhaps we trusted him because our families and friends and colleagues did, because we wanted to be part of a great deal that so many rich and famous were a part of, because he was part of our tribe, and maybe we were proud of his achievement, achieve, achievements. He was another of those wildly successful American Jews, the Sandy Koufax of Wall Street. The organization I consulted, one of many, was embarrassed by their relationship with Madoff. As the story unfolded, they didn't want to call public attention to how much they had invested with him, nor how much they had lost in real, in, real investments, nor imagined profits. From being one of the most celebrated grassroots philanthropies, did I say that right? Yep. Yes. In Jewish history, they quickly lost ground because of their perceived opa opaqueness. I said that right, didn't I? They all did. Yeah, I did. Of course, we can also go too far in self-blame for any given organizational or communal mistakes. The ultimate responsibility lies with Madoff. Thankfully, some degree of justice has been served to him. He pled guilty and the proverbial book was thrown at him. On account of the tireless efforts of the trustees assigned to the liquidation of the Bernard L. Madoff Investment Securities, more than $14 billion of the $17.5 billion of the actual money that Madoff had stolen has been recovered and restored to the victims. And I'm not going to read the rest because I don't really need to. But the point is, I found this really interesting from a cultural perspective because... I've never seen an article in all my years covering the news, and I've covered it a lot, where there was such concern about how to feel about where somebody went after they died when they committed such a great crime. I've never seen an article about somebody who's committed sex crimes or anything like that about their death. I've, but this really stood out because money was the big thing that Madoff was going for. I mean, clearly a friend of Judas, right? Um, but he had so many victims. Now, let me ask you something. Think about this just for a second. What if everything that you ever believed about God and creation and life and Satan and death is a lie. Satan, a lot of people don't even believe exists. They don't believe that he is a biblical figure. He, you know, he's just made up some guy in a suit with, with horns and a little pitchfork. He's, it's just a figment of your imagination. He isn't real. That's what our society tells you today, right? And yet... You also have on the flip side, you know what? God ain't real either. That you got the atheists out there saying, hey, God's not real. You know, that's a figment of your imagination. You Christians, you believe that book of fairy tales? You know, I mean, seriously. But if you are an honest person, right? If you're an honest truth seeker, somebody who really, really can dig into the facts. We live in the time of Dan, where Daniel prophesied that, you know, knowledge would go to and fro, it would go throughout the whole earth. We're in that time, guys, just so you know. Uh, we have more knowledge 
in this generation ever in the history of the world, I think, because we can literally in two seconds get info that we need on the internet. And if we don't have internet access, we can go to the library and get it, right? Any question under heaven, we can find the answer on the internet for the most part. And yet, it constantly amazes me in the church where we have this seeker-sensitive thing going on, you know, and the church has morphed from being a place of worship where people go in and they worship Jesus and they develop this relationship with Christ and we're there to hear solid biblical preaching and we're there to worship our king to a place where, hey, let's go ahead and do this, where we're going to invite our friends, let's make it look like the world so our friends from the world will be all comfortable here. And yet, then the church has been, like, taken over by Satan's friends. And it, 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 it scares me for people. Because you can know, you, you can know the answer if you open the Bible and you, and you read it, right? But so few people read it. I mean, I, I, I personally happen to know a lot of people that read it. But I think worldwide, so few people read the, the Word of God. You don't know what's in it. Uh, I was in a meeting this week with Christians, and somebody said, yeah, I know. I you know I know this passage about anxiety, and but I don't know where it's at. And I'm like, that's in Philippians four. Yeah, and then they went on to say, oh yeah, and I know that there's some other some scripture having to do with um, how I should think about stuff. And I said, that's in I meant, I meant Philippians four. That's in Philippians four. And they're like, oh, oh, that's amazing that you know that. And I'm like, oh my gosh, in my head I'm thinking. You should know this. <laughs> I know what church you go to. You really should know this. The biblical illiteracy scares me. And, and you know, this is, this is the, 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 the final line I want to draw with this thing with Bernie Matta, with Bernie, is that, you know, he could have repented. He could have repented, and he really could have found Yeshua as his Messiah. He could have really been born again before he died. I, the articles that I read never indicate that, but it did say that he felt remorse. So that's, you know, of course, Judas felt remorse too, but, you know, I don't think he's going to be in heaven. But let's just say for sake of argument, Bernie did repent. We might be surprised to find him in heaven. And then how would the world look at that? They would be like, well, I can't believe he's in heaven because he was a scoundrel and he, you know, he stole all that money from all these people. Why would Jesus let him into heaven? Well, my question to that is why would he let you into heaven? Just because you didn't go to federal prison for crimes you've committed doesn't mean you're, you, you don't warrant not going into heaven. You know, I mean, you can only get into heaven one way. Jesus said he was the way into heaven. Right? I mean, now let's bring up some other news. And I haven't talked about this a lot on the show, but I've been following it for a while. Robbie Zacharias. You know, Robbie Zacharias uh, made a career as a Christian speaker and apologist and author. He traveled the world, um, highly respected. He appeared on Christian radio all over the place. 
I actually interviewed his daughter years ago, Sarah, um, about one of the books that she had written. I mean, years ago. It was like when I first started my show, I had her on my show. And um, I had like high regard for him. Um, I loved his book, The Grand Weaver. I thought that, you know, he, you listen to him talk and he tells these great stories and, and always puts poetry in it and, you know, and all this other stuff. Um, but a couple of years ago, it came out in the news that Ravi had had some sexual impropriety. Um, and the Christian media world pretty much buried it. Because that's what the Christian media world does. They, they don't, well, legit Christian media usually bury it. Okay. And what I mean by that is the bought and paid for Christian media. They tend to bury stuff like that. Um, and it was sad to me. Well, you know, Robbie Zacharias died not too long ago. He was hailed as probably um, the the most recent Christian apologist in the history of the world, you know, as far as, you know, the 21st century, um, you know, put up a, beside Clive Staples Lewis, you know, and, and said to be one of the greatest Christian apologists of all time. And yet after his death, um, more stuff came out about him, about his sexual impropriety, you know, owning, you know, uh, basically a massage club and where, where he came on to women and, and just undeniable stuff. So much so that the Christian media world had to start reporting on it because there was so much of it. In fact, they, there's articles, if you go to Google News, you can, you can see on March 13th, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's headline was Sex Abuse Scandal at Zacharias Ministry Forces Staff Cuts New Direction. Uh, four days ago, Robbie Zacharias' sexual misconduct is revealed. March 10th, layoffs, upheaval at Zacharias Ministry, roiled by scandal. Um, Robbie Zacharias, when sin destroys a legacy, famed evangelist Robbie Zacharias engaged in sexual misconduct, his ministry says, and it goes on and on and on. And my friend Julie Royce, she's been doing all this reporting on it. And I've been watching the comments on Julie's blogs and, and stuff, and I've been looking at it going, it's interesting. These people are like, why are you covering this? How come you have to keep bringing this up? How come you're bringing up that Robbie Zacharias, blah, 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 the guy's dead. You should let it go. And I'm like slightly humored as I'm reading, reading this because, because that's what we want to do, right? We want to do it with a guy like Robbie. We want to let that go because he was such a good guy, right? But who's to say he wasn't any better than Bernie Madoff? What if it turns out Bernie repented and Robbie didn't? And Robbie is in hell. And, I, and I'm not trying to be a pain in the butt here, but that's a legit question because, frankly, we don't know. The more that comes out about Robbie Zacharias and what, hap what happened with him and the, and the multitude of Christian leaders that promoted him, uh, well, I could give you a whole list of those names, um, including me, you know, <laughs> including me. I promoted this stuff. Um, it's like, wow, you know, and then, and then I get this, um, this, um, other thing here, 
earlier, and th- this is interesting. It's cracking up actually. So earlier this week, I was I was um, doing my Bible study in Psalm 119, and um, engaging in some Bible study there, and then I was listening to some teaching on that, and then um, uh, and I was on YouTube, and I stumbled upon a woman by the name of Susan Heck. Now I've heard the name Susan Heck before because she's a Bible teacher, apparently been a Bible teacher for like 30 plus years or whatever. And she's been on some of the well-known discernment ministries podcasts, Justin Peters, Brandon House, some of those guys out there that, that I, I understand why they do what they do, but it's painful to listen to them. And so I was listening to some of the teachings that Susan was giving. I was listening, I was like, hey, yeah, I've listened to three or four of her messages. And, and she's actually a pretty good sound, right? Line, by, line upon line teaching the word of God. And I'm like, wow, this is really good. We need some hard preaching in the women's ministry, you know, and all that. And then right before the show, literally right before the show, I see this article titled, Beth Moore will face blackness of darkness if she doesn't repent. Susan Hack says, and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. I'm, and, and so I thought, now, isn't this interesting? Because Beth Moore, um, I know people locally who worked at Lifeway and have had interaction, and, and I have had my own personal interaction with her staff, which was not a positive experience, unfortunately. Um, but... I always try to think the best of people, no matter what, especially if they're in ministry. And and I'll say this again. I think Beth Moore has been treated unfairly in a lot of media, but I also think that she's troubled. And this this interesting, this article here on the Christian Post said, says longtime women's ministry leader Susan Heck, who leads a ministry called With the Master, denounced popular Bible teacher Beth Moore as a false teacher who will face the blackness of darkness forever unless she repents for leading women astray. The truth is, I'm not trying to condemn her. I feel great sorrow for her because she is the blind leading the blind. They're both going to fall into the ditch. And unless she repents, the blackness of darkness is reserved for her forever. That doesn't make me happy. I pray for Beth Moore every week that she'll repent. I pray that she'll consent to wholesome truth. She's leading so many women astray, and it grieves my heart. I'm not happy about it. It grieves me, Hex said in an interview with Justin Peters of Justin Peters Ministries on Monday. The blackness of darkness is a place reserved for false ministers, according to Jude one thirteen in the New Testament. Moore, who leads Living Proof Ministries, recently announced her departure from the Southern Baptist denomination and apologized for her role in elevating complementarian theology to a, a matter of first importance to much fanfare. And first of all, I, you know, I just have to say, look, I understand why Beth did that, okay? I understand why she is apologizing for the complementarian thing, okay? And, but nowhere, unless I'm blind, did she out, actually flat out come out and say she's egalitarian in that. Not that it even matters, because if you read the Word of God, you're not going to find either one of those words in it, just so you know. That, that has everything to do with the arrogance, and I will say that, the arrogance of those who 
who boast theology and they put their theology above the scripture. And they always say it's based on their scripture. But I can tell you, people in the Reformed camp of the church tend to be some of the most, um, I'm trying to pick my words kindly. Confident. Confident. <laughs> That's not the word I was going to say. I, was, I know. I was, uh, thank you, Lord. Okay, so let's put it this way. They attack other people. <laughs> That's not... <laughs> um, and I will also say, to be fair, that there's people in the dispensational camp that are also a little bit, you know, kind of like, Ugh, you know, it's like, it, it, they're like the Pharisees and Sadducees, okay? I mean, they, they basically, they want to, you know, if you don't believe like me, you're going to hell, okay? Anyway, that's just a little defense of Beth, okay? Because I think sometimes these people, you know, like John MacArthur, I think he was pretty rude for some of the stuff he said about Beth. And we've already talked about that. But anyway... Back to this article. In her criticism, this is Susan Heck we're talking about now, of the prominent Bible teacher, Heck, who has been in ministry for about 30 years, said the very first time she heard more, she was disgusted by her teachings. The first time I heard her name was through a lady who was discipling me and she wanted to know what I thought about her. I didn't even know her. She said, if I get you a video, will you watch it? And I said, sure, it was VHS, so that tells you how long it goes. She explained that her husband, Doug, was only able to listen to more for about 15 minutes, but she soldiered on until the end of the video so that she could critique more fairly. You know what? None of this is necessary. None of that. None of that is necessary in this article. In fact, this whole article is not necessary. Because, it's a question posed. Well, yeah, I know. But... Th and, and this is what irks me, because who gives a crap, right? I mean, let's just say it. Who gives a hoot, poor Al, sorry, about what Susan Heck thinks about Beth Moore and her first impression and all this other stuff. Anyway, long story short, this thing ends talking about how she loves her and she prays for her, blah, 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 blah. Now, I don't know if Susan Heck decided to call Beth Moore personally and say, Hey, Beth, I'd love to talk to you about your unbiblical, heretical teacher and how you're leading millions of women to hell. I doubt it. Or if she did, she probably got, like, you know, stonewalled or whatever. But she, she goes on in this article to talk about how she screenshots stuff Beth Moore says, and then when she goes and speaks, and people ask, well, what do you think of Beth Moore? She puts it up on a screen and points to the words of Beth Moore. <laughs> All right, hey, I would be the first to say I uh, Beth Moore is not my favorite Bible teacher. She never has been. I've had similar experiences. I've had, I had a woman once who, um, who I brought to a Beth Moore Bible study at my previous church in California, and she got up and left. And I asked her later why. She said, I just couldn't stand being yelled at because it was her style, right? Okay, I get that. But is this the way to build the body of Christ up here, right? I mean, do you see how clever Satan is to come in and try to divide and conquer from within. And and you know what? Beth Moore, as far as I know, believes the essentials of the gospel, okay? All this other 
stuff that is being discussed is you know elemental it has nothing to do with the basic fundamentals if you if you're born again you're god you are never going to be snatched out of his hand he will hold you now you will be judged for sure by god we're all going to be judged which is why we got to be careful about how we do this you know i think beth moore is troubled and I think, I, I mean, I've seen how she's been treated in ministry. I understand her anger on so many levels. I don't, I don't agree with her on stuff. I'm not going to, you know, stoop to the level of, you know, Santa, she makes my screen call. I mean, you know, at least not publicly. I mean, that would be stupid. But even in my heart, if I did, God would convict me, you know. And where is that love coming from, right? I mean, if we go back to the love chapter and we look at what love is, you know, it's patient, right? It's, it's kind, it's gentle. You know, it's not provoked. It's, you know, it's, it's, it doesn't keep a record of wrongs. You know, and you know, the context of that chapter is in spiritual gifts and God raises up people for a time, gives them gifts to teach and stuff. And, you know, if you don't think it's easy, I mean, you think about, um, you know, we were never made going back to my first point when I first started this, we were never made as human beings to be worshiped by other human beings. We just weren't. And so when, when, I don't care if it's a celebrity in the secular world or a celebrity in the Christian world, when the weight of that type of stuff comes down on a leader like that, unless they're firmly grounded in the word of God and they have accountability and they're honest and they're real and they can be with the Lord, it can destroy anybody. And that is my concern because, look, Satan has his minions everywhere. I don't know. I don't know your heart. I don't know Beth Moore's heart. I don't know Bernie Madoff's heart. Or Rabbi Zacharias's heart. But I know God does. Because he looks on the heart. We only look on the outward appearance. I believe he said that to Samuel. So. I got to tell you that we have to be careful. And I also want to say something else, and this probably isn't going to be very popular, but let me ask you something, and I mean this. I'm, I'm asking this because I'm wondering something. When was the last time that you cried for your own sin, number one, that you actually cried? Like you were burdened and you wept before the Lord because you were heartbroken about your own sin. I'm going to tell you something. I think the hearts of most believers are hardened and that most believers don't cry for their own sin. I know I've had to struggle with that. I've, I've, 
you know, been there. I understand what I'm saying. Now here's another question. When was the last time that you cried before the Lord for those in the church that you know are willfully caught in sin and they are refusing correction? So the heart of the father for his, for his children, you know, I've, I've heard this said, and, and, and I don't know, I can't verify it from an experiential perspective because I'm not a parent, but I've heard it said that when a parent disciplines their child, and let's say they spank them or something, that you often heard the saying that, you know, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. I often wonder if the father, when him and Jesus and the Holy Spirit were up there figuring out the earth and coming to terms with this whole plan of redemption, I wonder if the father said to the son at some point, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you, to send you there. And yet, because Jesus was obedient to his father, he came and he did it. Knowing the cost that that was going to, that he was going to bear. I'm pretty sure Jesus didn't have like, like, I'm pretty sure he could feel everything, right? I'm sure he didn't like have special skin where he was like, hey, I can't feel anything. I, I think he, he could feel the nail go through his wrist and his palm and the spear in his side and the crowns on his head and the spit on his face. I'm pretty sure the abuse that he went through because of my sin and your sin, he felt. And what we don't see in the text when we read the word of God is we don't hear his voice screaming out in agony. And yet he still had semblance of mind at some point when he was on the cross to say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And then he said, it's finished. Maybe Beth Moore doesn't know what she's doing. I don't know. Maybe Robbie Zacharias... Well, he probably did, just saying. He was, you know, the sex and stuff. But my point is that what if everything that you believe is a lie? What if all of the things that you believe that are important to you, that you're seeking, you're saving, you're trying, you're pursuing it, what if all that stuff is a lie? You're striving after wind. You're not pursuing Jesus. You're not putting him first. You're, you're like asleep in the light, as Keith Green once sang. Um, you know, what if? I have to think about that. You know, it's weird having lost my dad. It'll be three months tomorrow. It'll be six months on his birthday in July. I've been thinking a lot about my dad because I'm grieving and I miss him. But one thing that has struck me about my dad was 
um and this this week i got his his um gravestone marker and it kind of made it a final thing for me to to see my dad's tombstone with his name and what i had put on it i had to make that decision i mean think about that that was my decision what to put on his tombstone uh, a lasting memorial to my father I, I thought a lot about it. I thought, what do I put on my dad's tombstone? How would my dad want to be remembered? You know, how do I remember my dad? How do I want my dad to be remembered? What's really real? What's the truth? And the only thing that I could think of, and it came back to me over and over again, was um, that my dad prayed. And he told me all the time to pray. And he emphasized the word really, pray. And so I put on his tombstone, he was a man of prayer, and now he's with Jesus. And when he died, I was there, and I felt the presence of God there with me. I have no doubt whatsoever my dad was a man of prayer. But the other thing about my dad that really stood out to me is I've been thinking a lot about him. I get memories of him in my Facebook, and I have video. I haven't watched some of it, but... I have on my phone him telling me he loves me in audio. Sometimes I listen to that because I want to hear my dad say, I love you. My dad always thought the best of people. Always. You know, he was 92. And he learned along the way. You know, the Proverbs that talk about, hey, you do this, you live a long life. My dad did, and he lived a long life. You know, everybody loved my dad, just like everybody loves me. Just kidding about that part. <laughs> but it's true. Everybody loved my dad because he always thought the best. He always lifted people up. He didn't spend their time, his time, tearing them down or anything. And, you know, that's just my hope. That's, that's the Father's hope as a Christian. Jesus wants unity in the body. You know? And so I just want to end the show by exhorting you to that. And just ask yourself, you know, what's your attitude towards stuff are you quick to judge and criticize? Are you quick to want to chomp on the next gossip that's out there? Are you quick to assume the worst, even when there's evidence that there's a lot of good? And then, if it was you, you were judging, would you judge yourself the same way? We got to be careful. Because one day, we're going to give an account for everything that we say. And I don't know about you, but I'm pretty sure when I look at Jesus's face and I see him face to face for the first time, he's probably going to have, I'm, I'm probably going to melt. Probably. That, that's my guess. I can't even imagine. I mean, I, I can't, it kind of scares me to think about because I can't imagine being in the presence of that pure love like I've longed for my whole life. And yet, if we're in his, his ambassadors, that is supposed to be the mark of who we are. Love is supposed to be the mark of who we are. Not, not this criticism, not this attack, this division, this 
backbiting and yang yang yang. You know, I mean, we 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 opened the show talking about how he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. From dark and delight. I have a Q-tip in my hand. Why, I don't know, but I do, people. But anyway, the thing is, is we've been forgiven if we're in him. And so we are supposed to go forth and, and promote that. So I just want to say, repent if you are in one of those categories where you're looking at this stuff and you're wishing the worst and you're and you're going to do this and that and that. You know what? Take the log out of your own eye and really begin to deal with your own stuff. And if you're not crying over your sin lately, I would encourage you to start there. So that's my show. Um, I, I don't know if it... I, I don't know. That's all I got. Um, so... I will just say one more thing, and that is that if I truly didn't love you, I wouldn't say this stuff. But I do love you. I love the church. I love his people. And it makes me sad when I see this stuff. So I'll talk to you tomorrow.